in a world where Mad Lab Theater. What are you doing? Making the Mad Lab ad for Cinema Wheeler Tay. Oh, here's my other one. Susan thought it was just another day, and then she met Mad Lab. Why don't you just say that Mad Lab is the new works theater in downtown Columbus, featuring hilarious comedies, powerful dramas, improv with FFN, the annual Young Writers Festival, and the longest running shorts festival in central Ohio, Theater Roulette. That sounds pretty awesome, especially when I do it over the Star Wars theme. Star Wars is always a good choice. Mad Lab, the original. For more information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit us at madlab.net. to another episode of Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's Sean, Tony, and Scott, as usual. Hey! hey. And we're joined, <laughs> this may shock everybody, but we're joined by a special guest today. Yes! yes. Uh, they're not really not special, special, they're just guests. Special is the word for it, yes. That's right. Uh, she's a very good friend of mine, uh, a, a film buff extraordinaire, uh, Nikita Carroll. Hello! Hey. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I'm mostly here for the food, but yes. <laughs> but we shall talk as well. That's how we motivate ourselves, mm-hmm. is food. So <laughs> Today is a, a really uh, exciting episode for me personally, because uh, this is definitely in my top three favorites, if not my favorite. It's something mm-hmm. that fluctuates, but it's definitely <laughs> up there. Uh, talking about uh, Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece from 1980, The Shining. Yeah. Ooh. Great, great film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the, the caveat is, and people already are kind of familiar with this, is I'm a huge Jack Nicholson fan, and I think it's one of my favorite. What's not to love? Yeah, it's in general, and this is one of my favorite Nicholson performances. You know, I because I think a lot of people would probably this would probably be one of the performances people would first think of when his name. He goes to the dark it. side well. Yeah, he does. Yes, he, does. Mm-hmm. he plays crazy well. Yeah, I'm a yeah. sucker for he's crazy. Not, I, I don't know if he's playing or not. He <laughs> <No>. <laughs> goes in the natural wellspring. I think he just shows up on set, they give him a script and he reads it. You know? Well, it sounds like that went well with Kubrick, is that the two of them could really let each other be. Oh, yeah. Dark eyebrows do that. Those arched eyebrows <laughs> Those on arch both eyebrows. men. And that, that Joker-esque yeah. smile. <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is on full display. This might be, I think, the first role. Well, maybe Cuckoo's Nest might have predated mm-hmm. it, but where Nicholson really went that extra edge over the top. He went full crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and then Al Pacino saw and said, Forget everything I learned about acting. <laughs> now I can go full bore. <laughs> You There's know. a market for this. Okay. <laughs> On that note, because I want to bring this up, there's probably truth to that because if you watch Michael Corleone in the 70s versus mm-hmm. Michael Corleone yeah. in 1990, guy. completely different <laughs> character. He's not even playing the same character. No. It's Scarface with a with a crew cut in part oh, three. Oh, Scarface was a year after this, wasn't it? Like a year couple, or so? yeah, think, A couple, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he's definitely in 1980. He's yeah. like, I'm going to top Jack Nicholson. <laughs> he's going to go over the top, so am I. But this was like in post-production for like, what, three or four years? This yeah. was a long one, and they actually had to um, chase off the Raiders of the, or Raiders of the Lost Ark because they were supposed to be on the same set. 
stages. I love that story that you mentioned because it's one of my favorite trade-offs is that, like you said, they took down the sets from The Shining mm -hmm. and they brought in Raiders and those are two of my favorite movies. Like, they're so... <laughs> I mean, just the thought of community flying along, watching that transition from the Overlook to, like, probably, mm -hmm. you know, one of the temples that he was going through in, in South Africa, America. That would have been awesome to I like see. to see that movie of Stanley Kubrick not letting them do it. <laughs> I'm still shooting 50 takes. The evil, the evil continues. Yeah. There's another story. We're talking about the Nicholson's performance at the beginning. Uh, that's related to Spielberg and Kubrick. And I think mm -hmm. it probably took place during that transitional okay. period. Uh, Kubrick showed, uh, a, I think, a, a cut of The Shining to Spielberg when it, you know, when it was first released. And... Spielberg said he didn't like The Shining at first. Really? He said, and Kubrick was asking him, like, I kind of sense you don't like my movie. What's going on? Because he was giving him some fake compliments, and Kubrick uh -huh. saw right through it. So Spielberg goes, well, I thought Nichols, I think Jack Nicholson's a fantastic actor, and but his performance was unique. It was like a kabuki performance. And he goes, and Kubrick goes, I see what you're saying. You're saying you went over the top, right, Stephen? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, all right, Stephen, name five of your favorite actors ever. Just your mm -hmm. five favorite actors. And Steven Spielberg thought about it for a minute, and he said, let's say Jimmy Stewart, Henry Fonda, you know, Spencer Jimmy Tracy. Jimmy Stewart didn't go over the top. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a different... <laughs> we all kiss Jimmy Stewart and Spencer Tracy. I mean, Spencer yeah. Tracy was good, but he, he revised a lot of the same roles. Yeah. He went over a little bit, but at the same time, he, he stayed in a safe zone. He stayed in a very predictable pattern for him. Right. And I think the trend was Spielberg was drawn to like these understated guys mm -hmm. that were like more like Americana, that sort of thing. And Cooper goes, stop right there. I noticed you didn't say James Cagney as one of the five greatest actors mm -hmm. alive. He goes, well, I think he is. And that's why Jack Nicholson's performance is great. I love that story because it <laughs> confirms why I love this performance, you know, because I've always been drawn to like really... And he's the quintessential. Like nobody goes over the top like Nicholson. He does it with a certain flair that other people but lack. But do you think that a lot of the time maybe he was able to do the casting in this way and have this vision because he never read Stephen King's uh, screenplay? Yeah, he didn't read it. He stayed completely pure from the way that Stephen envisioned it. I mean, that was the thing I think that made it was because he didn't let himself be influenced too heavily by how Stephen interpreted his own book. Mm. Yeah, did he read the book? I, he, did. I, he did read the book. Yeah, he had to because the story is very similar. Did well, you ever read the book? Yes, I yeah. actually read it in preparation. I saw oh, the mini series. Fancy. I was getting all <laughs> geeked oh. out. You went full bore. I, I, I went full Kubrick. <laughs> From the synopsis on Wikipedia, it sounds like because I always I always heard that Stephen King was upset about the. It, That's what. But he I read hated it. Like it. It, it seems like very similar. It seems more similar than I thought well, it would be. He hated it. Yeah. They're actually when they he hated it so much that he wanted to do a miniseries, which he did, and there was a gag order placed on him. Kubrick put a gag order on him because he was tired of him uh, saying horrible things about the film. He hated the movie. Why? And it was that thing if he thought that because Kubrick didn't have a moralistic view, Kubrick was a man that didn't believe in hell, that he didn't allow there to be the depth of darkness uh, necessary for that film. And I, I really, after seeing both the miniseries and the movie, I, I don't know if I'm just being a snob, but Kubrick's is the far darker. Yeah. It, it really, I don't know, maybe it was because, 
it, it's it's hard to say. I mean, what makes somebody a genius? Because I think he was able to bring the dark, twisted, deranged elements of the characters that was already in the subconscious, just a fingernail scratch away, um, and give us enough of a backstory. And you're talking about implying the hotel manager. It. <laughs> All of it. Oh my gosh, did you see how they had the playgirl? Yeah. There was a playgirl yeah. shot in there, and the hotel manager, it was that... You know, you're looking at this, and you're seeing damaged people everywhere. Yeah. And it's not because he gave us hundreds of pages of backstories of mommy issues, of daddy issues, of this, of that, of disappointing parents, of, you know, careers broken. He was able to bring Jack Nicholson in, and we could all see the broken bastard he was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a very thin layer. He was holding on by a ring when he mm. went to this hotel mm-hmm. and that's what king hated about it he wanted somebody that seemingly normal like he wanted more of a john voight type actor but the to play book it. he wrote yeah. was con- completely contrary to that you know he did exactly. not make a normal well-adjusted man in that book that that man had deep-seated daddy issues and i think the casting is brilliant on both ends because with kubrick it's justified to have, have nicholson go insane because shelly duvall is somebody who would be a drawn to somebody like jack jack torrance she's codependent she's codependent you could tell she's fragile she's probably doesn't have a lot of confidence on her own to go out there and you know so she would be the person drawn to someone like jack she was the one that was skittering around and it was like anytime something slammed too loud even under normal circumstances she would have shuddered yeah she was perfect casting. Just beautiful casting there. And, and right. King hated her. Why did he cast her? King well, King didn't. didn't. Oh, King. Oh, oh, yeah. Kubrick, 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 I think Kubrick was I'm gone. sorry. I got the two crazy people confused. <laughs> yeah. Kubrick was finally... Wait, wait, wait. Stanley Kubrick, Stephen King. I know. The yeah. parallels are amazing. Yeah. There's a great story. It's like, do you like this person? No, you're hired. <laughs> There's a I thought <laughs> Kubrick tortured her. I guess that was what I think. Well, yeah, no, he did. He, did. he absolutely yeah. made her where she was probably very close to being admitted. Like, near nervous mm-hmm. breakdown. She hated him. She hated the experience. She couldn't wait. He decided to, you know, he was going to push you off the edge of the cliff if that's yeah. what it called for. It wasn't going to be this method acting. No, he was truly going to put you into the crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was losing hair, I heard, on the set because of this. Cause probably because of... she wasn't eating. Yeah. Did she but do could, uh, olive oil right she, after that? She <laughs> but, can we, but can we say... It, it, <laughs> Getting on two logs, spreading apart. Or <laughs> That's what it felt like. But, you know, it's that thing of like, it, you know, was it worth it for the art? You know, would she do that again? You know, because what else can you really, besides that other role, what else do you really remember Shelley Duvall Excuse for? Excuse me, I remember Shelley Duvall for a famous hit TV series in the 80s called Shelley Duvall's Fairy Tale. I remember uh. that show! <laughs> I so, so that goes to show you that Shelley Duvall did come out on top. Okay. Was Cooper involved with that? Well, will that be one of the best hundred miniseries of all time? So that be one of the best hundred shows. Hundred. Okay, if we go to a thousand, we might be able to play. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I love that show, and that show featured a lot of big name actors. Google it, guys. I will. We will get right on top of that. I also have to add people <laughs> like Susan Sarandon, Paul. Um, um, but oh God, really, when you think, think of Shelley Duvall, though, do you ever see her like with the billing that she had for that? Unless you consider Suburban Commando a great masterpiece. <laughs> she was in Suburban Commando with she... Chris Lloyd and Hulk Hogan, who was the star. Okay. So she's wore, wow. she's the one person, she's a tie, the, the, the one degree of separation between Stanley Kubrick and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> That's a brilliant place to be in the world. 
right there. I know you'd be rather proud of that, or rather. I know, I know. <laughs> hey, this is a cast of Fairy Tale Theater. It's it's, it's, it's rather impressive. Susan Sarandon, Thank Christopher you. Reeve, okay. Jeff Goldblum, all right, Brigitte Anderson, Gene Stapleton. Oh, that's a damn fine cast. Matthew yeah. Broderick. Matthew mm. Broderick. Liza okay. Minnelli. Uh, Paul Rubens. That's a damn fine uh, ensemble there. <laughs> Thank, <Yeah>. you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I haven't seen the product. Did they ever but, do a fairy tale uh, classics with The Shining? That would have been I funny know. to that bring that cast into like Paul Rubens into yeah. Jack Nicholson's role. Would have been <laughs> what inspired. they did was they actually took a classic fairy tales mm-hmm. and made them in human versions. And um, I remember Paul Rubens played Pinocchio. Okay. That what? seems like a natural character yeah, for him. Um, he was always the little boy. It was really, boy. actually, really, it was really fascinating. I remember loving it as a kid because I've always been drawn to theater and, mm-hmm. you know, fairy tales and things like that. Um, and I just thought it was a great show. You can actually rent the series from the library. I think it was on air for about five years. Wow. It might be, yeah, hard, yeah. It might be hard to five find years, them. Five years, I didn't think yeah. it was that long. Was it like a Twilight Zone kind of different story? Oh, I yeah, love like the every, Twilight every Zone. Every week was like a different fairy yeah. tale come to life. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing uh, Will Shatner on the Twilight Zone when there was an orangutan on a plane, and he was the only one that could see it. Oh, that was uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that, I, that that took me back to like Shatner. <laughs> I have to say something. Okay. Did you know that oh, during no. production of The Shining? Stanley Kubrick screened David Lynch's Eraserhead to the cast and crew to convey the mood that he wanted to achieve for this film. Really? I did hear that. Yes, I did. I was aware oh, of that. Lynch. <laughs> right. And when I was watching, rewatching this the other night, um, there were a couple scenes specifically that I said, "These are so Lynchian." Yeah. Of David Lynch. <laughs> Although I have to say, Lynch probably took a lot from Kubrick when he started out too. Well, that's I'd the imagine. highest compliment is that you is. can go ahead and stand on somebody else's shoulders and pay that homage and, and still have an original piece of art. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I think in many ways they're contemporaries. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Kubrick was way before. He was in the 60s. and Yeah, he started, like, Kubrick made his uh, mark in the 60s probably when he first Dr. Strange Love out. was, yeah. his, was his, first, his last black and white film. Yeah. He had a series of black and white films before and Dr. Strange Love was the last black and white that he did. Yeah, he was a prodigy. He was like a, a he was hired by Look Magazine as a photographer, at three kid. years old. Yeah, a three years old, a three years wow. old, a paycheck at that age. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I, I, that's, I, I that's, think we need to verify. Yeah, that. yeah we may have to confirm it, but yeah. That's I, mean, I guess that, I guess it's. <laughs> Gosh, I was eating glue at that age. I know. I mean, I, what was like how, how it happened? I don't know. You know, but yeah, it's Look Magazine. It's not Time or like. Okay, you know, it wasn't it was, like it was also in a battle. Field. I was like that Tiger Woods hitting a golf ball. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I can't remember what I was. I at three. I was like, like eating my thumb. Yeah, so it's I, that. Wow. I don't even think I could hold a camera, other than take pictures. Break one, yes. Yeah. Break yeah. things, well. That's amazing. Yeah, he was. He was definitely a prodigy. Like they, I guess he was noted for being that. You know that he was. Um, that smart. And yeah. Maybe, well, he's definitely, I mean, the cinematography that he uses in The Shining, they had these custom-built sets that could not exist in reality. And he had these continuous shots, like when Danny's on the tricycle or the, yeah. what, what were they called? They weren't tricycles. It was the, what were they called? Like a big wheel. The big wheels. He was on the big wheel as he had this impossible shot. You know, that just went on and on, and he had these yeah. sets built so he could use continuous, uninterrupted. That was the city camp shots, it's, too. Yeah, right? the city yeah. camp, because that was the first really use he was able to do. He said, You know, I'm going to go ahead and take advantage of this new technology. And then you had those carpets 
those funky, weird yeah. carpets, just one 80s turn carpets. after another. <laughs> oh, they were awful. And I was probably Danny's age or close to it when that movie came out, too. Mm-hmm. Like, so we were probably from that generation, so I remember that. That's such a vivid childhood memory I have when you see those. And, you know, and carpeting. Danny is the one that came up with the speaking through his thumb, the red rum. Yeah. That was wow. actually the child actor was thinking that would make it. And I think that that was another one of the yeah. scary things. It wasn't just an imaginary friend that they could superimpose or bring in, but. Mm-hmm. the little thumb and how he's looking into yeah. it and he's having this conversation you're like wow when you have kids you start looking for stuff like that there's some things you're like wait a minute here this isn't cool what's going on no why are you talking to this i think it's that movie where the imaginary friend all of a sudden became something sinister up until then it was always this cute oh there's an imaginary friend I and then you have the shining kind of sinister and you have poltergeist yeah. you have all these films that make yeah. the unknown terrifying all of a sudden well they bring a lot of life to children they do you know and how children maybe have children like animals have this unique ability to sense things that mm-hmm. you know adults often overlook. Well, you think about some of the like when people mention their favorite horror films or the greatest horror films ever made. There's like four or five that are like from the point of view of a child. A child's being threatened. The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. You have The Shining. Mm-hmm. Poltergeist. Rosemary's Baby. I mean, that was a good one. yeah. I mean, that there's was... just a lot of them that f- f- focus on children, you know, yeah. and their mm-hmm. special. Gremlins. <laughs> Gremlins, yes. And Christmas. When Christmas is, <laughs> right. when, you, when you start attacking Christmas, that's when it's... Like, that's, when a, that's when you really go full bore. <laughs> that's why the... Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good one. Uh, but I was talking about that scene with, uh, with, with the, uh, the big wheel, the mm-hmm. bike. Yeah. Uh, the sound design is amazing, too. Like, just the way you can hear the, the bike. It stops when it hits the carpet and it goes yeah. right onto mm-hmm. the floor. And, and it's almost pitch like, perfect Like you're in your time. own home. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's impressive. So, uh, we probably got a little sidetracked, but what was the first time you saw The Shining or heard of it, whether it's the book or the film, and what was your first impression of it? I think like, I saw it when I was eight or nine. And it was just that terrifying movie. It was that, you know, it seems rather quiet. It has that slow build where it's not just horrifying from the get-go. Some movies, you know, from the beginning, you felt there was this presence and you would feel like they, they would start with the blood and guts immediately it was that slow build it was mm-hmm. that anticipation that things were were building on top of each other and this slow reveal and this uneasiness because things continue to get odder and you would start to notice things and it was that anticipation because I, I think a lot of things are you know when it comes to horror or thrillers the unseen is so often more powerful than the scene. If you put something out there where somebody can see it, that's never going to have as much impact as if we're imagining it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I first saw it, like, uh, I think a little bit later when I was in high school. Because our family wasn't really a horror family, so we mm-hmm. weren't, like, watching it of a rage. We were comedy. This okay. shocks people, but we were a comedy <laughs> family. Who would have thought, right? But uh, I loved Nicholson, and I loved King, because I started reading a lot of Stephen King's mm-hmm. novels, so I wanted to check it out. And I couldn't get into it first just because the pacing was so slow. I wasn't used to that at that point. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to really get into the rhythms of the thing. But once I started, I started loving it more and more where it became one of my favorite films. I'm just a sucker for crazy characters, like I said. And Nicholson, like I said, is the quintessential, you know, psychotic, crazy... I don't think there's anybody that has a middle ground with it. Either you love the film or you hate it. Yeah. You really can't say it's so-so. You... It's a it's a polarity. It is. It's it's well Kubrick in general is is that too. He, you know, is. he is. Um I know many people who hate two thousand one or don't 
understand why it's or so revered. Or why Clockwork Orange? You know, oh. still can't be shown in the UK. No. No, still to this day. It's a copycat, a, right? It was a copycat. Well, it was a horrible. You know, it's that thing of it's. It's a terrifying, horrifying vision of society, but it is such a statement. It's such a beautiful film. But yes, Kubrick does not take the middle road or the middle ground. No, he is like he does exactly what he wants, and. He, it's like a non-judgmental. He just shows the film as is and lets you make your moral judgments mm-hmm. on what's happening. And you know, a lot of times, I think you know, you spoke about Gremlins. You know, that's that cautionary morality tale: do mm-hmm. what you're told, follow the directions, or horrible things will ensue. Like mm-hmm. everything your your parents tell you: if you yeah. don't do it this way, mm-hmm. the, you know, horrible things will happen. And so often, we're giving these tales that if you don't follow this prescribed set of beliefs, if this pattern, if this you know manner of doing the directions isn't followed precisely, horrible things will happen. Yeah. And Kubrick's kind of like, horrible things are going to happen anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And that's kind of like the way Jack Tickles and Ica makes you feel like, bad things are going to happen. We're no gonna matter make, what. We're going to make some yeah. bad decisions tonight, and he's just going on out there. Ego's going to get in the way at some <laughs> exactly. point. Tony, what was your first uh, impression of The Shining as either a story or, or the first time you saw the movie or, the or your awareness of it? I saw it, I was, I think, a freshman in high school. Okay. My um, next-door neighbor, who was my best friend at the time, his mom loved the book. She said it was like one of the scariest books that she ever read. Mm-hmm. I remember there was one day, I think it was in the summertime, we were just kind of like bored and um, Blockbuster still existed. <laughs> and... We were like, we're in the mood to watch a scary movie. Like, we were just in the mood to rent a scary movie. So, um, Bobby's mom took us over to the Blockbuster, and she was telling us about The Shining. She said, oh, it's such a scary movie. She's like, I remembered reading the book when it came out, and I couldn't put it down, mm-hmm. you know, and I was terrified. And um, so we were like, oh, okay, you know, let's we'll check it out. So that's when I remember watching The Shining um, for the first time. And uh, I remember just kind of thinking it... it to me, it wasn't. It was. Uh, it was like a psychological thriller. Mm-hmm. To me, I didn't Absolutely. find it like scary. Like oh, I'm afraid to sleep at night. Like how Freddy Krueger affected me. Scary. I was. Like, oh yeah. I was like, this is oh. more mental, and I found it really interesting. You know, because I was like, okay, this is. Um, there's more to this. It's like the man against ma- himself versus man against other man. Yeah, it's, it's like you're, it, it, the battle is internalized. Absolutely, and and it's. Um, I thought it was neat. I really liked the ending. How it was sort of, well, spoiler alert. Yeah. Anybody <laughs> has seen it. But it's very subjective. You're not yeah. really sure who is Jack Torrance. What really happened? What did we just see? Was this a dream? Is this reality? Mm-hmm. Was this a moment in time years? They make, it makes you question yourself at the end. Yeah, Stanley, is, like, Stanley is making you question yourself and your own perception. He turns the card yeah, back on you. You're like, this yeah. is kind of, you know. <laughs> well, I turn it back on Stanley. You're like, Mr. Kubrick. Joke's on you. You're dead. Checkmate, Stanley. <laughs> but I, I love the twist of it. You know, I've always yeah. been really intrigued by things not being what they seem to be. And, and um, I'm often... Um, Someone who during films or TV shows and I'm watching, I like to put the puzzle pieces together. I, mm-hmm. I'm very observant, so I see things and and I'll say, oh, you like, like I, to predict the ending. I can don't often you? make, and I'm usually right. Am I not? <laughs> like I make these predictions, and that's kind of how I, I remember being with The Shining. Um, although, you know, I don't really think anyone can make a correct prediction for this movie, but 
you know, as the movie went on, I'm like, I think he was the guy, you know, who killed the children before. I think mm -hmm. he's a ghost. And, you know, you just start thinking all these things and you kind of get inside your head. And he leaves just enough of the little subtle clues here and there. Yes. He's just teasing you. He wants you to have that confidence so he can then smack you and say, you know nothing. And he's definitely yeah. crazy. You know nothing, John Snow. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do remember thinking the scenes, you know, where he was chasing Danny, mm -hmm. um, especially in the labyrinth, you know, that was that was pretty terrifying. Cause mm -hmm. The labyrinth. It's very strange. Or, or not strange. <laughs> but, maybe Bowie um, came out. <laughs> no, don't if he bring came him out, into yeah, this, right? <laughs> No Goblin Kings in this one. Yeah, that's, uh, no. the, I'm the Shining. <laughs> but, <laughs> Start <I> singing. Guess, <laughs> you know. It's one of my... <laughs> Don't you hear my new album, The Shining, where I play The Shining Derek? <laughs> well, what, what I'm trying to say is it's very rare um, that you, while a lot of horror movies, especially during this time, highlighted children and were focused and centered around them, it was very rare that we ever saw a child get murdered. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so it was, that, still, it was still very taboo. Was, you could yeah, really, I like, mean, a lot of the rating systems wouldn't let you show no. mm certain things on TV mm. still. That was a... Mm. Like, so so to see this child not knowing, is he going to get him with the axe? Mm -hmm. You know? Like, we just saw him kill Scatman Crothers yeah. a couple mm -hmm. minutes ago. Which I, is a horrible, <laughs> horrible thing to do anyway. I Nobody says that to But I remember man. being no. kind of nervous, like, oh my mm -hmm. gosh, is he going to catch him? Because I said to Scott, I'm like, his footprints are in the snow. You know? Yeah. Like, you get so scared. You're like, oh, he knows exactly where he's going and is he going to kill him? So it's really thrilling. You know? And you get invested in, in these characters and I've always been someone who's... Um, been really sensitive when it comes to children like if, if when i watch movies and things like i cry at willy wonka and the charlotte factory when charlie which version because the second one was really no, creepy no, no. okay the gene wilder one okay that's that because the johnny Depp one was kind of creepy it was creepy but <laughs> it was creepy but just seeing charlie bucket and they're so poor and then when the mom is singing cheer up charlie and you see him walking home it just tears me up i don't like seeing children in tough spots and mm -hmm. so i was like i hope he doesn't die um, I think Charlie was in less danger than Diane though, to be fair. Well, the, I meant Diane. <laughs> yeah. Which psychotic, you know, yeah. is more of Which a... Which psychotic would you want to be housed Yeah, with? Willy Wonka or Jack Torrance. <laughs> now, watching those two go together, if you wanted to do Freddie and Jason, put Willy Wonka and Jack Torrance in the same movie. I think that would be... Uh, <laughs> Stuck in huge... Living alone <laughs> in huge mansion type things. <laughs> they kind of speak the same language, especially Jack towards the end, all work and no play. That's a Willy Wonka line. I mean, he would... He would love that, yeah. I think. Willie Wonka would have his little pipe. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was, um, love what you said about uh, the child in peril because one of the things that Kubrick does with this movie that there's no sentiment involved with the peril. Mm -hmm. Like, usually, you're very much invested with the, with the kid here because the way Kubrick's so clinical with the way he films everything, there's kind of an emotional detachment from watching this kid being chased by mm -hmm. his father. That's even more terrifying to me because mm -hmm. he just kind of lets it play itself out. I have this weird theory. If they're going to do room 237, mm -hmm. I have my own personal theory on this of what was going on. And it's, it's my favorite, and I'm sticking with it. I don't okay. care how absurd it is. But this is actually a very serious Roadrunner cartoon. Okay. Because they're watching the Roadrunner. Really? Yeah. There's, okay. They're watching the Roadrunner cartoon in the Life movie. Life death Roadrunner. Yes. And... <laughs> If you watch Nicholson's face, it's like a Chuck Jones character because it's animated mm -hmm. and everything, like just very expressive. It's almost like Bugs Bunny in one of those Chuck Jones cartoons or, or Wally Coyote. Okay. And he's inept. He never gets the only person he kills is Scatman Crothers. So I guess he's one up on Wiley Coyote because well, he actually yeah. killed somebody. That we know of. And, and, yeah, and yeah. In the book, a right. lot of times the hotel was speaking through its various spirits, aching him yeah. on, like, why haven't you taken care of this? 
Just yeah. like, why haven't you done this? Yeah. You're yeah. supposed to do this. And the hotel was just taunting him because, like you said, the ineptitude. Right. He couldn't. He couldn't control his wife and his son. He couldn't control them. No, he couldn't. And he's being taunted by he it. He couldn't even you know? control himself. No. That's the main thing here is he couldn't control himself. No, and the kid is gifted, yeah. just like the Roadrunner is pretty much, you know, never yeah. touched. The Roadrunner. Uh, yeah. yeah, this parallel is what I was really okay. going for. Chuck, Chuck Jones, Stanley Kubrick. But uh, <laughs> but it is kind of like a black comedy because I think all of Kubrick's films have a lot of black comedy. There's always an undercurrent of satire and comedy going through mm-hmm. them, no matter mm-hmm. how dark they get. The Clockwork yes. Orange is actually, a, in parts, a very funny. It is. In uh, parts of it, it's hilarious. Yeah, and this movie does have the, the bar scene is mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. I mean, the dialogue is always... And you, th- and you, and you think about these aging heiresses mm-hmm. going off to these hotels with their playboys and... You know, all of these, these, you know, the, the, the one percenters yeah. going to frolic off into the snow and live forever, you know, <laughs> right. just in, in this demon possessed hotel. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, you Which is built on a Native American burial ground. ground. And they, they push it up passing. We had to ward off a few Indian attacks as what? we were here. <laughs> Native American yeah. burial grounds. That was just like a you know, Yeah, you yeah. Know, you don't do the Native American that, burial ground, okay? You really. That must have been a thing at but, the time. Yeah, yeah, but who, like, in the planning commission says, you know, burial ground? Check. This yeah, is what yeah. our subdivision needs. Because I think it was also after the EPA did that commercial with the Indian, yeah. and it was that. It was like in four arguments for the elimination of television. You know, that was one of the most powerful commercials ever because that Indian has that single tear. Yeah. And that was when Cleveland, you know, the river was burning. Yeah. We, we, had, yeah. we had so much going on. And so, like, a lot of Native American issues were really prevalent. And it was that thing where you don't, you know, I th- maybe, maybe it was an agenda with the Native Americans. Don't fuck with the Native Americans. I won't. We, we will definitely <laughs> find a way. Through this world or the next to get with you. And all these movies were just pushing that. Yeah. Sort of well, and then 84 came. We had the Ghostbusters. So we were just... <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we can get rid of them. Well, now it's that whole thing of like, okay, come to the casino. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly. It came around by the mid-80s, you know. But yeah, I mean, and, and there's a lot of like Native American motifs in the hotel if you watch. Like, it yeah. was. Well, wasn't yeah. the hotel supposed to be in Oregon? Is that right? Or it it's in Colorado. Colorado. It's in Colorado. Yeah. The, in the it's film, in the, they actually filmed in Oregon. I, or yeah. Oregon. Or, yeah. yeah. And the real hotel burned. Had a fire. The real hotel yeah. had a fire. Like in the book. In the miniseries. Was this and the book in the miniseries, book? it burned to the ground. Yes, it did. And so the, Kubrick had to be laughing because he's like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's been done. It's been done, sweetie. Okay, just because I didn't do it in the movie, I know, okay? But not with Stephen Webber. No, nothing original here. <laughs> I think Stephen King was just waiting around for an actor that he thought he could portray the pole. And he's like, <laughs> one night he was up late watching me. <laughs> Are you saying that maybe there was, okay. Because I just, yeah. you know, it was um, it was so unremarkable of her performance in that miniseries. You're just like. That's shocking. I was, but you know, you're looking at this and you're like, I still trust him. Yeah, he's talking a little bit crazy. He's chasing uh, people with mallets. But I'm still, I'm still more afraid of the hockey player down. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't like really bring a, a terror or fear up in me. No, I'm like, no, with I the could, mallet. I, what are you thinking? You're still thinking I could beat him in a fight. 
And I'm a woman. So. Steven Weber uh, is was on. Remember the show Wings about the two brothers who were pilots. It was a sitcom. I remember it. Did I watch it? No. No. <laughs> he was on that. Yeah. And apparently Stephen King watched that show, like Scott said. Said that's my Jack Torrance right there. He must have been drinking. <laughs> yeah, Stephen Weber. Some bad food or indigestion. Yeah. Well, I'm not speaking of drinking and Stephen King. <laughs> I think one of the reasons that Stephen King had some issues, um, maybe with Jack Nicholson or just in general, is. I think he was he was suffering alcoholism when he wrote The Shining, and I think there are some personal elements. He was um, able to put a lot of his own struggle. Yeah, into and so I think it's a very personal story for him, and I think that could have been part of his dismay with the film version, perhaps. What? You know, when something's really personal like that, it's it's hard to see it mm-hmm. come I, to life. I did think I read where he was upset because you know they mentioned that he stopped drinking. For so you what you're what you're wanting to yeah. say that then he is wanted that Stephen King wanted him to keep. His character, I guess, was... He wanted him to stay likable because he was seeing his own struggle. And maybe Jack Nicholson was turning the mirror a little bit towards the demons of alcoholism. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a likable guy that had a drinking problem. It was a really damaged soul. Bad guy, yeah. That could be. I know that the big difference is, like, the two things I remember reading with King is that he didn't think Kubrick embraced the supernatural enough. Yes, and that, that was a big I, I read problem. that as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he also, like, he didn't like the casting of either Nicholson or Duvall in the roles. But you know the funny thing is, okay, in 1994, I went to Snowmass in Aspen. My aunt plays in the Spring Music Festival, and my father saw that as a free hotel. You know, we would stay in her condo mm-hmm. because, you know, we're always saving money. Mm-hmm. I met Stephen King at a Hard Rock Cafe in 94 wow. with oh, wow. his wife and his mother-in-law, and he had a bag of Hard Rock merch. And my dad's like, that's not Stephen King. Like, basically, you're 17, you're stupid. How do you know anything? And so, you know, I'm resisting the urge because he had this aura that was creepy. He just had this he sort of creepy. possessed mm-hmm. sort of thing. And there was that respect of also you don't want to bother somebody at a dinner table and be that ass, even mm-hmm. at that age. And I took my dad a block down the street and I showed him the back of a book because there was a bookstore. And my dad's like, oh, you were right. And I was like, and I lost my minute. I could have, like, said something. I could have shook his hand. I could have just, like, raised an eyebrow and been weird. And I lost my, my minute to be weird near Stephen King. Wow. And I blame my father for that. Actually, uh, maybe you were But weird. to see him in the, in, in the Hard Rock Hotel was, at that age, it was that thing of, like, how weird is that? He's someplace normal. Yeah. Okay, now in Aspen, the Hard Rock was like the most normal place you could be. Like everything else was ridiculous. The street performers were having 50s and 100s thrown at them, and my dad's like, you still need to go to college. <laughs> you're not very funny. You, you don't you don't juggle. You right. can't do this. And you're like, well, I don't know. I should leave school. This, this looks <laughs> lucrative, Dad. I'm just saying. <laughs> but to see him in that, and you know, every, right. I always regret that chance of having been able to say hi or I appreciate your work and never having – Taken it, being too afraid of being wrong and having my father be right. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, yeah. I wouldn't look at it that way because look from Stephen King's perspective, you may be weird because you didn't come over and say anything. I know. Maybe he's yeah. like, I enjoyed this meal, and all I yeah. needed was a seventeen-year-old to just make an ass of himself. <laughs> or maybe he thought, you know what? I'm Stephen King. My mother-in-law I'm, is so boring. <laughs> I'm like an amazing writer. I'm very established. I, I'm world-renowned. It's weird that someone didn't come up to me tonight at dinner. Yeah. yeah. I know. Well, what you could have done is like, Stephen, I love your work, but you're wrong about The Shining. <laughs> I, know, I didn't know enough at that time. Right, yeah. No, I obviously wasn't reading as much about this or had read the book, but, you know, it's that, you know, I wasn't as outgoing and daring. And that's, that's yeah. you know, and you always think about when you're younger, usually you are more outgoing and daring and stupid. And I kind of missed out. 
I felt the same way when I met Jake the Snake Roberts this year. You know, it was just very <laughs> tough. Awesome. But I finally he paid. I paid for the, paid the, for the I paid for the uh, the luxury of meeting Jake. You know, he, he took the money up front. <laughs> Boom! It was it was perfect. Receipt? And like Stephen it's King, a business expense. That's you right. Have to, you have to network. I think the parallels <laughs> between Jake Roberts and Stephen King are probably pretty parallel. Darker, <laughs> troubled guys dealing with addiction. You know, but um. I think the thing with Kubrick and King, like getting back to that, is like there's two different oh. artistic aesthetics. You know, you have um, the one, like Stephen King, everything's like moral play. There is a supernatural element out there. There is good, evil, heaven and hell. Kubrick is very clinical, a skeptic. He's a cynic. He doesn't want to buy too much into the supernatural element he's of what's going on. He's the analytical artist. Yeah. He's not the emotive artist. He's the analytical artist. Right. And King's the opposite of that, where he is a very emotive and there's an emotional core So to when you it. put those two together, there's <laughs> going to be friction. Yeah. There's a great story where King... Uh, uh, King was in Maine and Kubrick, of course, is in England filming this. Mm-hmm. King uh, Kubrick would just call him in the middle of the night going, do you believe in God? Just out of nowhere. And King would have to answer after waking up. <laughs> <laughs> kind of answer this deep philosophical issue because Kubrick was an obsessive you know he wanted to get all those details down he could see him at his computer or wherever yeah. he not a computer at that I time like, but yeah. Atari yeah it's Atari he was playing <laughs> but just jotting things down with research and just trying to get like as much information as he can in his own way of figuring out this puzzle you know so I'm sure that's where that friction mm-hmm. came from with those two and you get two people that are used to being told yes yeah well, you have two people who have their own distinct ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's tough when you write a book and you have a vision yeah. for what your work is and someone yeah. else takes it and does it different. That's, that's yeah. no matter if it's a better way or not, mm-hmm. that's tough to deal with. And I, I don't think too many people that write books, unless they write the mm-hmm. screenplay themselves, Did, ever have, ever enjoyed the movie. Do you think that was necessary for King to have this experience somewhat early in his career? Because that yeah. had to influence Every other creative decision he made. Yeah. Everything else, I'm sure he negotiated the contracts entirely differently. Yeah. Because it was the, um, what was it, the editor or publishing house that negotiated this. Mm-hmm. You know, he got his royalties, but, you know, he, he didn't have, you know, and this movie might have given him the clout to throw his weight around a little bit. You know, he mm-hmm. needed, as much as this was detrimental to his artistic vision, maybe this is what his career needed so he could do things like Stand By Me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And let's not forget it. Oh, the, it, the, the, the I, miniseries. Yeah, no, that that was actually considered yeah. a miniseries. That was not a film. It was a miniseries. Really? I got yeah. it in the same box set where I got my like, <laughs> Stephen King. You know, The Shining. When did that come out? Nineteen ninety or ninety one? Yeah. Yes. Because it had um. Tim Curry. I it? Yeah, it had never, Tim Curry. It was so scary. I didn't. I couldn't watch it. Yeah. I was so scared of it. You know, but I watched it. Yeah. And. Uh, I, like I, th- I think it, you know it was back that thing of it wasn't Tim Curry as as the the clown, but it turns out to be a darker, more ancient evil. And then there's a spider, and mm-hmm. yeah. the spider was really cheesy stop animation. A guy in a suit going, yeah, yeah. it just. Mm. But I think it was probably because I was watching so much of the other Stephen King, where mm-hmm. I'm just looking at that like, meh. Well, yeah. I think that was really good before. But Curry got to was amazing. Part. If there was more Curry, I would have definitely been into that. You know, you could always use more Curry. <laughs> what does this film need? It needs more, more cowbell, more Curry. It does. Just, it does. You know, because he had the teeth; like his teeth would yeah. change. But that was again that was children in peril. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But those children bonded together. They yeah. had each other, and then mm-hmm. they came back later. It was that promise. So there was like that yeah. time between of like. 
how many evils, how many things from your childhood are still evil? And how many people would you still be able to keep a promise to to go through that with you again? Well, that's so why I, I really think he, he went deeper with I that think one. It was a, I really liked it. Um, I remember seeing it as a kid and, of course, being terrified in some ways. But I, I was always drawn to Tim Curry as an actor, so I really liked it for the fact that he played Pennywise. But I liked, again, I liked the psychological aspects of it, you know, where it's just these certain group of kids who can see mm -hmm. this clown and this Not creature. Not everybody. You know, like I remember the parts where, when they were young, and my sister at the time, Jackie, had a huge crush on Jonathan Brandis, mm -hmm. and okay. he played like yes. a wee boy when mm -hmm. they were yeah. young, and the scene where they're, he's looking through, um, remember the photo album and Yes, stuff? with and, his brother, and his baby brother. And nobody sees it, yeah, but he mm -hmm. can see the clown moving in the photos, mm -hmm. and I don't know. I just think it was really neat. It's one of those uh, stories that kind of gets in you. Mm -hmm. King is fascinated with childhood. He yeah. is fascinated with childhood. And, you know, Kubrick, other films, can you think of anything that has to deal with a child or has a child in it? No. Blackboard Orange? Definitely not. Unless they're teenagers, that's as close as they get to... Dr. Strangelove? No. Apocalypse Now? No, 2001, certainly not. No, no. You know, there, there aren't any humans, really, in 2001. There, there, there were, like, it. a handful, you know, yeah. keeping up appearances. But, yeah, Kubrick wasn't a, a child. I mean, this was probably his only significant work with a child. A child. Right. Being anything other than in the way background, off to the right, under something. He almost directed AI before he passed away. Really? Like, that was one of his I projects. Love that film. So that was a Kubrick project that Spielberg really? took over as a request, mm -hmm. I think, from the Kubrick family to put that out. But he would let him work on another piece after all of the uh, all of the discontent and, and, and back. <laughs> that probably would have been his the next project where he would have worked with a child actor would have been AI, I think, after The Shining. Those but that like was also two. a child that was, yeah, you know, robotic, uh, you know, not human, and so that would have, he would have been really good at that to portray that slow evolution of, oh yeah, and non feeling being into that to show. Wow. It would have been like another step from Blade Runner, essentially, about what it means to be human, that, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, with this movie, like um, I think Danny Lloyd is a great child actor, And this too. is the only one he did. Yeah, that's yeah. it. He and never he, and did. he doesn't want to talk about it. He's not really interested in reliving the glory days. <laughs> you know, this is all he did. He, he was kind of like over it. Yeah. Which I think probably made it better, you know, to do one amazing role, to work with someone like Kubrick, and then just... I'm done. His parents yeah. had the, you yeah. know, they they had the restraint to not shove him into the business further. That was that was fantastic. As opposed yeah. to a, a career actor or a child star that just gets pushed into one role after another, where it weakens everything, and then you see them spiral out. You know, he has yeah. a real life. He did other things with well, his life. And this movie could have traumatized him in some ways too. I mean, that's what it did yeah. to the ball. That's what right. this child. Years of therapy. But yeah, it could have made him say, "Hey, this is not." Well, Kubrick is not. He, he does. You do. Do you think Kubrick was hiding underneath his bed? Yeah. <laughs> No, just just red taping red him. Red I gotta get this extra shot in. I gotta get a few more shots of you sleeping. I think it's the many takes that would get me other than... Uh, yeah, 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 more takes. Perfectionism. I know that his perfectionism, I think it drove... Well, he was a taskmaster. He, he, he treated Nicholson well. Like They hit it off really well, which I think is because Nicholson... They were the same type of crazy. They are kind of the same craziness. And he's being paid in those. Yeah, it. yeah. That's, he's the most valuable player on the set. Shelley Duvall, he was horrendous too. Kind of, I guess maybe he was trying to be Jack he, Torrance to he her. He put her in that role of the battered woman. He made yeah. her a battered woman for the film. 
And uh, I guess he wore Scatman Crothers out with all the takes because Scatman Crothers was, was, was older old. at yeah. that point. And Nicholson was a really good friends with Scatman. Yeah, he was the one that got him the role. Yeah. That said, hey, I got this guy. You know, Scatman's in Cuckoo's Nest as the janitor at the end, yeah. too. So they were really good friends. I love Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, that's one of my yeah. favorites, too. Uh, but um, Nicholson had to step in and say, Stanley, you got to cut this out. This guy, he's... You know, he's older. He can't take You're all these. You're going to literally kill him. Yeah. And Scatman is wonderful in the movie. I think he's a terrific See, character actor. I think actor. if he would have died on filming, you know, he would have just tried to work with the angles. He wouldn't have called anybody for a while. <laughs> the body would have laid on the floor. Yeah, Kubrick exactly. would not have let it go so easily. <laughs> that was him. He was actually died during the set <laughs> of this like, movie. He's that like, scene. Yeah, he's like, yeah. <laughs> I paid you through the day. You're going to stay. I've got to get out here. i got to do the voice of jazz. <laughs> That's right. you got to do a Transformer. <laughs> you got to do a voiceover. <laughs> Stanley was like, you know, Jack, I was on the fence about casting your friend when I saw Hong Kong Fooey. I said, that's, that's our... <laughs> that's too yeah. much. <laughs> that's the chef right there. Um, I think it's great. I love the scene when Scatman's character first appears, and he's describing all the food. I mean, that's what I love about Kubrick. Like, all the these people massive. are describing everything in full detail. Well, it was such a normal thing. Like, all the brand names were there. <laughs> all of those little creature comforts, your tang, and just those things that make you feel like you're well-provisioned for. It's going to be cozy, and you're going to be all nice and fat Especially in the winter. Especially for six months. I mean, yeah. that's, you're gonna that's be, a long time. You're going to be okay. You're, you know, they're looking out for you. That is a Kubrick kitchen, too, because it's very OCD. Everything's in fine order, you know, nothing's <laughs> out of place. Maybe this Kubrick guy and I would have gotten along swimming. <laughs> yeah, you might have. You might have. You might have had. You've been right on track. Um, I wonder if, you know, the sort of mental toll, like, you know, it's that, you know, if you were doing a film with Kubrick, did you really have to write in the counseling that he would pay for later? Or is that, like, standard contract? You've worked with Stanley. Tom Cruise before Eyes Wide Shut. Tom yeah. Cruise after Eyes Wide Shut. Need I wow. say more? <laughs> that does, yeah. Okay. I mean, Scientology probably crept in. I think in he was already that, touched, but maybe that just put him right over. Boom! Put him right <laughs> out over the edge. He started hop- hopping on couches five years later. So this is where we insert the sound bite of "I love that woman." Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Peter Sellers was crazy anyway, so I think that was okay. You know, yeah, I, I he was know. already. Yeah, George C. Scott was probably mm-hmm. you know a little little oh. off. Uh, Malcolm McDowell, you know, Malcolm McDowell, like, uh, that speaks for itself. You know, yeah. I love him, but but um, with this, like, I love Scatman's performance. I actually want to talk about Stuart Ullman, the the guy at the beginning, the hotel manager. Mm-hmm. This guy is a quintessential '70s actor. And oh. I love that whole speech. <laughs> the way he describes the hotel in firm detail, again, like all these specifics mm-hmm. about how to run the engine, all your mm-hmm. duties. It feels like an actual job interview. This is the first time we've, we've seen an actual full-length job interview. You, you could start to roll your own eyes <laughs> yeah. in that sympathy, that sort of, we get it, we get it. Yeah, we, we understand. Yeah, I, I love it. I love the tour around the hotel. <laughs> and then you get the Scatman Crothers, and we got four beef shanks, we got five chickens, we got, it's like, we're going to go through the whole inventory of the, of the freezer. And we actually can take inventory and watch <laughs> You pretty much know yeah. everything that's in there. It's like, you got, you got enough food here to, you know. We take all the alcohol out as soon as we leave. And it's like every detail. You feel yeah. like you're on this tour with them. This is a weird movie, but the weirdest moment that I think this movie has is when she opens up a gigantic can of fruit salad and it's just and it pours it into a bowl and that seems like that's their dinner yeah. and, and we all ask why they are insane yeah. <laughs> I think the fruit salad but you have 
it's like pours the whole thing and like you have nothing else to do you think that cooking would be a relief yeah. what else yeah. are you go- you think you would be making these massive homemade meals not out of interest but out of sheer boredom, boredom. yeah i mean at that point you think he'd be brewing his own beer i mean he surely had enough goods yeah you know i just think that maybe he needed more time alone and he could have mm-hmm. they, they had all the supplies to do many things well, the other scene I love is when Wendy starts talking to uh, the Rangers about like the, the weather, the, mm-hmm. the pending weather, and everything. And yeah. she's like, "Wow, this storm's really getting bad." It's like, "Oh shit, this is a depressed woman trying to." Hit <laughs> you can tell that guy. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about, Mrs. Torrance? Because I really want to end this conversation. I have other things to do. <laughs> yeah. I know you're lonely. Over and out. <laughs> yeah. Over and out. She always has that like naive, naive like over and out. Yeah. So cute. Over. So sweet. They go yeah. back and forth. Please like, don't kill me. Please don't <laughs> let him kill me. Wow, what are you re- what are you writing there, honey? <laughs> Get out of here! I mean, everybody—it's horrible to this woman. The only person who's nice to her is like Scatman. I think he's the only adult in this movie that's at, it shows at her all. any respect. Yeah, he is nice to her. So it makes you wonder why she didn't go crazy. Yeah, I well, mean, do you I'm think if they redid this movie, it would be the mother going crazy, going around that hotel talking about I picked up your socks for three damn months. Yeah, this is getting stupid. I'm killing you. I mean, you. Right. I think that today's like if you redid this, it would be the woman. Yeah, it probably would be murdering yeah. the, the children. <laughs> I know because somebody would have to t- take that stance. Although there's true heroism with her character because she is naturally meek. At least on the exterior, but, but she's she resourceful. Became, but she became the mother, and she yeah. she made it happen without changing her demeanor or changing her personality. She just got That's him safe. out of there, and yeah. I love that. I love that she didn't become like like uh, like the Terminator, where you know, yeah. you know, she just becomes a completely <laughs> different person altogether. An unbelievable leap. Yeah, exactly. She's kind of consistent from start to finish. What? <laughs> I thought you were yeah. going to say something. No, I got. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I think. Uh, I really did another thing. I was. Uh, I thought you had something that you were saying. <laughs> oh, well, when you guys were talking about her going crazy, and yeah. I just was laughing <laughs> in my mind, and I thought, if I had that just awful wardrobe that she had, I'd be going crazy, too. <laughs> yeah. But who are yeah. you dressing for? I mean, at that point, <laughs> still, still, I would be in still. bunny slippers. You know, I've had the pajamas with the attached feet. I would be rocking those all day. There'd be no brushing of the hair. You know that you would really just go full on to She looked bad in the beginning. I mean, okay, this that was a woman pre-existing condition. Bad. Yes, and, and as a woman, I want to pick Shelley Duvall's character up and say... Three things. Do three things. One, first, I'm going to say, eat a hamburger. Eat okay. Two. Yes. Maybe four. Okay. Then let's take a shower. Take and a get shower, a sweetheart. Okay. <laughs> then let's go shopping. Have you thought of conditioner? <laughs> Something has got this to be done. This poor lady is in shambles. I mean, it breaks my heart. Like I just want to save her and just say, hey, you well, know. Her husband is a recovering alcoholic oh who lost his job at a prep school and. And, and he's just an asshole. I mean, he's just an asshole. Yeah, so yeah he she, is. She's just been, like, living on edge, and she looks it. Exactly. She just, looks it. I just want to save her and say, you know, you don't need this guy, honey. Yeah. Okay? Get in the snowmobile and keep on plowing, because yeah. the next hotel, I'm sure, has a great guy. <laughs> well, the first hint for her should be when when uh, your husband is explaining cannibalism to the child in firm <laughs> detail, without but, batting an eye. But she, in the book, she keeps referencing the Donner Party. It comes oh. up all the time. Yes, her biggest fear is the Donner Party, and I think that's why when they went over the food. In the book, it's the Donner Party this, the Donner Party. It just keeps in her head. 
Oh, so that's what she keeps thinking. That's her internal dialogue. Yes. Is like, and this her, is retur- just like, her eternal uh, psyche is all about the Donner Party. They I had think, to eat think, each other. I think the underrated moment is when she realizes Jack's a bad writer. And he's just looking at it. Yeah. She's like, "This is shit." <laughs> That's why she's so like, "Oh my How? god, I, mar- yeah. I thought I married the guy that was going to be brilliant." I have to steal the sheets. We're never going to be able to eat after this. <laughs> so I'm going to have to sell things. Anybody who's ever written anything though on a creative level, this is the process is frustrating. Where it's like nothing's coming to you. I wouldn't write you that line. You can't make you know. yourself write. You no. either are compelled to, and you yeah. have to write, or you're going to lose your mind, or you write garbage. It is. I always, I always tend to write in paragraphs and they're never sequential like I'll have ideas mm-hmm. or, or um, outlines for things and I'll just write them all down even if it's like dialogue and then I'll, I'll kind of put them all together in the end if that makes sense yeah yeah it does yeah, well, everybody has it does, it does you because know? you don't know which predate you have to go yeah. through the whole experience before you know it there's so many techniques to writing like you either write like you said, random mm-hmm. lines of dialogue or something, or at least with me, it becomes mm-hmm. random. You have an idea, mm-hmm. and then you try to piece some of it together. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you get to the point where you're trying to organize yeah. your thoughts. I have, but... I have mad moments of inspiration, and I have months and years of not working on it and then picking it up. Yeah, and you get very frustrated. And, then, and you're not, like... Yeah, it doesn't come out the way you want it to come out. Or, or, or it comes out, and it's like years later, you're going, okay... So we're going to take We Are Not Ourselves, and then we're going to add a serial murderer to it. I like that. Okay, we're going to talk about the Alzheimer's, the changing of the relationship, and oh yes, you know, because with Alzheimer's, the earlier memories are the ones that you keep. It, you know, it goes back. I worked in assisted living, you know, and mm-hmm. it's the earlier memories you keep. And what if you dated somebody, and in his 20s, yeah. he, he was a mass murderer, and he ends up reforming or ends up playing it off or doesn't doesn't commit anything again? But later, things, things odd start to happen. Sounds you know? like an episode of X-Files. I know. And I'm like, gosh, that would just make people scared of the elderly. Yeah. But maybe we should be afraid. <laughs> we may very well be afraid. Cheer the X-Files music. Yeah, <laughs> well, the other thing, because he's a writer, that might be why he envisions like uh, the 20s. Like, because that's when Hemingway oh, pitched so Yeah, yeah. He probably has that in mind when he's going through mm-hmm. the gold room and all that stuff. You know, which I love those scenes. I love those scenes. They're you beautiful. Know. And he's hilarious in them, you know, because he looks like Neil Young associating mm-hmm. with all these French wealthy <laughs> people. He's got the ragged hair and the, you know, flannel shirts, and he's going in. He needs to a makeover, too. Yeah, he does. He's, he's basically Neil Young with an axe at the end, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is really Neil Young. So, but kind they, of, so uh, they both really convincingly portrayed in every manner broken, broken yeah. souls in every which way. They are. You know, they couldn't have picked anybody better. No, it, it just it just devolves and devolves. And uh, even the way... their car was broken down and needed a fuel pump. It did. And the book, they were talking about that how the car was barely going to make it. It was barely going to get to the top, and they started using the truck. And were... so even their car was on its last leg, crawling up to the end of this hotel. They didn't even have an option because the car was about to die. And it's all about keeping up appearances, too. Keeping up with the Joneses. We're a normal family. They're trying so hard to come off as a normal, well-adjusted family. Which so many people who are struggling or are troubled do. A lo- yeah. In fact, a lot of really troubled people, you'd never know it on the exterior. Because they look just so... But it takes all of your effort exactly. to be normal. Absolutely. All yeah. of the effort, all the energy, yeah. and it's just they're going to crack under mm-hmm. the surface. And he plays fake nice so well at the beginning. Nicholson, like that fake nice attitude. He's going along with everything, but you could tell he's there's something I sinister. Hate you. I yeah, hate you. yeah, I hate you. 
well, that sounds fine to me. And he could feel the, mm-hmm. the, the razors coming out of his eyes at each moment. <laughs> yeah, he's good. Yeah. yeah, he always looks like and something. And he made the comment, too, how he says the hotel felt like home. Oh. Yeah. Remember? Yeah, he has those moments where he's that. just kind of like... That's why... It, well, again, in the, in the book, question. he was more about... He wanted the hotel to want him. And he was very jealous that the hotel wanted Danny. Mm-hmm. He was very jealous because he thought he was the special one. He was the remarkable one. My son is nothing. That makes so much sense for this movie because he has this weird. It doesn't. Really, they don't really explore their dynamics prior, except that there was that one violent mm-hmm. altercation yeah. where he, he broke his arm. broke his arm. But their interactions are basically there's no chemistry whatsoever. No. I mean, he has no chemistry with his wife. He has no chemistry with his son. Well, in the book, him and, him and so. Danny are very close. In the mm. book. You know, the mother is jealous of Danny's closeness with his father. Wow. She feels like the third wheel. In the book, it's him and Danny, they're tight as can be. Despite the abuse, despite the broken arm, that's the one that he bonds to. In the movie, it's so different because it's the mother he's he's closest mm-hmm. to in this. Mm-hmm. Like, he yeah. has no relationship really with his father, obviously, for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. but... He's very close to his mom. They have a lot of scenes together where they're going through the maze and, mm-hmm. yes. you know. and Mom's the active parent. She is. Yeah. But dad's the one that gets the affection. Yes. <laughs> or not. Maybe because I don't have as much access to him, so he, I want to know more about yeah. him. It's he has that, that appeal. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the maze, that's a big difference from the novel, too, because I think Well, they the couldn't novel, do the CGI. They yeah. couldn't make the animals move. And they, again, they did in the miniseries, and it was awful. Yeah, <laughs> just but, not a bad visual idea. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty. But yeah, they, they couldn't have the animals moving. And it was the animals were chasing them up the hill. The animals were oh, wow. actually at one point broke skin and scratched. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And the animals, the, the topiary animals, were able to attack and draw blood. Wow. And I huge think it's a huge difference. Yeah, that, makes, a that, huge. Makes, that makes the labyrinth even more terrifying. It I mean, does. I think if, if they could have done that at that time, that would have been, you know, Kubrick would have gone over the top with that. Yeah, he would have. Bloodbath. Yeah, it would have been. Although very, uh, although he loved puzzles, which is why he came up with the maze because he was like a mad chess player. Well, that was in always... the book too. Oh, really? I, yeah. I didn't know that. See, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the labyrinth was in in the book. Okay, I thought that there was that just the topiary. Kubrick, that wasn't oh. a, a Kubrick invention. Oh, gotcha. No, wait a minute. No, you're right. It's just the topiary. It's funny how you part things to. There's so many yeah, variations and, and of it. Going, what came from where? Yeah, because I know he he changed it into a maze because uh, they, like you said, they couldn't do the CGI stuff with yeah. the with the animals, and he wasn't crazy about the idea visually anyway. He didn't really because uh, you know, the think, supernatural element but, was a little too. But that would make it more disorienting having the maze. Yeah, that adds to that disorientation. Absolutely, yeah. and also that 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 isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, compounds that, exactly. It, yeah. That already that already kind of bleeds over from their family life into their individual lives, and then into being in the hotel. Now that you still have that desperate isolation in the maze. That, that's interesting because she does. Shelley Duvall's character, what's her name? And Wendy. 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 <laughs> she does feel very isolated, even in her own family, because her Absolutely. son has got a friend. Yeah. You know, he's and got Jack, Tony. Jack has lots of friends. Jack, yeah. Jack has <laughs> alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like Jack has his own life outside yes. of his family. Yeah, yeah. even the, in that remote location, he, he can avoid. He's not, he's not even interested in it. No. Yeah. no, he's not. No interest. 
Yeah. And like, so even a functional family going into that sort of extreme isolation, you think there would be cracks, but to take a family that's already breaking and, and mm-hmm. taped together and then put them mm-hmm. in that situation, it's like, oh my. He's most interested in them when he wants to kill them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the most, <laughs> that's the most yeah, interesting. That's yeah. the most active he is. And yeah, pursuing them. In some <laughs> yeah. He's for, a, murder, for murder. He's clearly a loner, because almost yeah. everything he does is by himself. He loves playing, you know, he's just playing the handball, the handball games by himself, and he's writing by himself, and just <laughs> sitting in his we're bed. Calling, we're calling that writing. <laughs> yeah, 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 writing, quote-unquote. Or sitting in his yeah, house he's coat. staring at a wall. Yeah. For, oh, that's one of my favorite shots, because that's the Kubrick brow shot in every movie, as guys looking like, like they're looking yeah. underneath their brow and he's just looking at the camera and it is black turtleneck. Uh, there's, we were talking about the maze. Like there's one shot that's always perplexed me where Jack is looking down at that, um, mm-hmm. that model of the labyrinth. Okay. And he in can see Wendy and Danny in the center of that. Like, I don't know if that's a cut shot to just showing us an overhead view of them working on, mm-hmm. or if they're indicating that Jack can see them inside that maze walking around. It's not really clear. I think he's trying... Well, I think he's looking at it just to get an idea of what he's getting into. Oh, uh, yeah. And then I think it's an overhead... Sh- well, I, who knows? Because, I mean, it's, they all see yeah, it's ghosts Kubrick. in that movie. Yeah, yeah. You know? Is Scatman Crothers real? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> did he really give that inventory of that food that was in that room? Yeah, yeah, that's a big question mark that most yeah. fans pile over. Is because that really the ghost lets him out of the... the you know, it's uh, Mr. Uh, the old caretaker... Yeah, and it's you know, Grady. Yeah. Grady. Grady, Grady, yeah. yeah. And Mr. so Grady. there's not a lot. And we know Grady killed his whole family. Mm-hmm. We know he went mad. But there's, I, I think that it would have been interesting if there was more. We don't get a lot of backstory on Grady. Was Grady normal before? You well, know? he had a great resume. We know that. That's but, but it was that thing of like, yeah. it was that thing of like, you know, were there more similarities? Yeah. It would have been nice if there was like some more echoes of like the Grady's home life as opposed yeah. to just the more, you know, it was that thing of, were they also going into it just as damaged and just as broken or were the Grady's normal? Were <laughs> the Grady's like 10 times worse? Was the Grady's just like, that was the full, you know, twice the crazy. Come play with us, Danny. <laughs> yeah. What, what we do know is that the HR department of this hotel is terrible. That's what I was about to say. This is a horrible idea in the first place. But, what, what family can hand out in the Colorado by themselves, well, isolated the thing, for a whole he's winter? He's a recovering alcoholic in the book, and he gets the job because his friend, his drinking buddy, who's also now sober, pulls strings. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you know someone's a recovering alcoholic, as you are too. Mm-hmm. You're going to put them in the most isolated, weird situation you can, and you think that you're doing your friend a favor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really? This is this is good. Well, I this would also do. Sobriety <laughs> is definitely challenging our thoughts of what favors are. And recently recovering, not just like he's been yeah, recovered he's for like ten six, years. He's like six months dry. Right. You yeah. know, it's still wet behind the ears, and his yeah. friend does him this favor, and the hotel manager's like, "I didn't want you. I hate you. You know." want nothing to do with him right and you think that with the tragedy of the man murdering his children and wife you know a few years prior they would have you know there, there would have been more regard maybe there's like been a better a... background check or something or maybe yeah. you you just uh, maybe what do you do in a situation like that i mean would you just have somebody without you know kids yeah, I mean, it, it's just, yeah, you would think that maybe just have one, although you, you need more than one person at that You would need more I than think. one person, but is there, like, if it was roommates, they would probably want to kill each other, too. 
It's a terrible idea, no matter how we look at this, yeah, but putting like, anybody so in that. How could you do that? How, yeah. Like, what sort of dynamic would you be able to get saying, okay, so maybe gamers. Yeah. Like, my son, I'm, I'm sure my 16-year-old gamers. son would, <laughs> if there was enough food and a bathroom and, the you know, he had power source, he would be fine. The internet would change the story completely. The internet would yeah. so change this. Can you imagine yeah. the tweets coming out? Yeah. That would be... I, okay, I'm not much for Twitter, but I would read that. Like, yeah. Wendy losing it, like, from the Overlook. Those yeah. tweets from Wendy, you know, that it's would like, be great. Dad's after me again, guys. Help me. <laughs> <laughs> Those Facebook posts would be like, very tank, interesting. This thing isn't helping me. <laughs> Jack's going after me with an axe again, everybody. Wendy. <laughs> He'd be taking, know. like, snapshots. Of <laughs> <laughs> Selfies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the brow shots, you know, been looking at out, out in the, the abyss. Yeah, the internet it would ruin this because then she could get a hold of the rangers and yeah, she'd, be all, right. she'd be all flirty with the rangers yeah with webcam with jack in the back <laughs> with the axe going down the hallway completely <laughs> different dynamics at play at this point with that they'd be able to use like the cgi ghost detectors and things phone like locators yeah. to know yeah. where dad is like oh yeah. my gosh we know where his phone it'd is it'd be a we reality have... show it'd be like ghost, <laughs> it would ghost be. hunters <laughs> I want to say, too, this is one of the most visually stunning films ever made. It is oh, immaculate. It is. The set designs are... The set designs, the cinematography. It's all symmetrical, which I love the way Kubrick shoots everything. Everything's symmetrical and clean, and that's kind of offsetting to mm-hmm. the viewer, because they're not used to it. it it's a perfect... Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a perfect widescreen. And then you, you get so much detail, like, you know, Kubrick... Shoots in wide shots usually, but mm-hmm. he lets you. He reveals different details about the background, so mm-hmm. you're always visually stimulated and he at changes each moment. Too. He does so that you start to think, "Am I seeing something? This was there. This chair wasn't there later." He would move chairs mm-hmm. and take chairs out of shots and all, just so that you're thinking, "Is the hotel messing with me?" Yeah, you know, is it is the hotel? You know, it's kind of like, is it discreetly reordering itself? Which is very well because it's 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 the overlook and it's subtle the way he does it. He doesn't draw attention to those. That's why I like I like subtlety with that stuff as opposed to making it over the top where you can see it switch. Well, it's a thinking man's film in some way. It is. You know, it's not that where he's going to hand lead you entirely through every. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Which I like. I love when I, they I let, leave it to to me to make that decision. Even the twins are symmetrical. If you watch the twins, they're like almost identical. And they're dressed exactly the same way, and that's offsetting too because it's so. So you're wondering is how naturally symmetrical were the twins, or did yeah. he get like little like platform shoes for the shorter one? <laughs> yeah. The one had to have like nose job to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, could I could see him modifying children. Yeah. I thought they were actually like eight and ten. I don't think they were twins. That's what's off-putting they because were. they yeah, were because they yeah. weren't the same age. But they feel like, but people think of them as twins when people like talk because they're dressed exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's another. I think there's some incongruities with that story anyway because, mm-hmm. like you said, they're eight and ten, yeah. but then they look like twins when you see them. What about the the, the naked pictures in Scatman Covers Miami? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. What's, what's up with that? It's, okay. it's symmetrical. That's He's what. He, He's yeah. a confirmed bachelor that likes the ladies. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Is that his house, or does he have like a gig in Miami? He has a job in Miami. Yeah. In the book, he has a catering job for the, at the horse track. Okay. Like yeah, uh, he does okay. catering and hiring don't really at the horse in the track. Movie. In the movie, he's just kind of there in Miami. He's just being fabulous. Yeah. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's just living the dream. What man. does uh, he's a head chef? So a head chef at a hotel would probably make. Good, Good money. money. Yeah. 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 Go to Miami, and he's been doing it for years. Especially. That's his primary gig, I'm sure, is that. Yeah. So, 
the hotel, you mean? Yeah, oh, no oh, doubt. Oh, yeah, I mean, that wouldn't be a bad gig. I mean, he's the, only there during the... And the book, they talk about how many times the hotel changes ownership, too. Hmm. Yeah. It, it was built by one family, and the maintenance man, the groundsman, it was his family that built it, and they sold it. Mm-hmm. And then it went to a private group, and then somebody who... Um, who's the one that did the spruce groups? Who is that gentleman from 50s, 60s film? A little bit crazy. Hmm. Um, Spruce Goose. Uh, 1940s, he was an aviator. Oh, you're talking about Howard Hughes, right? Howard Hughes. Yeah. There's a Howard Hughes character who ends up buying the hotel. And he holds on to it for years and he sells it. Then, I mean, it changes ownership. Like, it's like a hot potato nobody wants. And it was like a Howard Hughes. And it was like a, a private club for the mafia. And then it became a bordello. And then it went to private ownership again. Wow. It's like nobody wanted this hotel. Well, they over- also explains Howard Hughes was probably affected by the Overlook, but during his OCD <laughs> isolation period, yeah, yeah. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I love this hotel. I want to stay here forever and ever and ever and never come out of in, my room. Maybe he's in that picture. <laughs> that would that would be funny. He could be. He could Ooh, be. Jack. <laughs> yeah. He could be. Of the, uh, was it Fourth of July party in nineteen yeah. yeah. Which is nowhere near the time period of the movie, which is pretty much fall winter. Yeah. You know. yeah. Um Well, that would be when the hotel would be open, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because so. it was supposed to be the opening party. So the caretakers The caretakers <laughs> family is yeah, related. Oh, so that would be the opening party for the, the hotel. Right? This or the second. Like yeah. it was open to like 1908, 1909, then it was shut down, then it was opened by another group, and then that party happened at that second opening. Ah. I know, right? Maybe Jack's yeah. really not in the photo. Maybe he just sees himself in the photo because he wants to be in the photo. Well, maybe so badly. This could be all of Jack's dream, you know, yeah. <laughs> in general. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe none of this happened. Jack's this is, madness. Because remember, he mentions he has a dream about killing them yeah. in the middle of the film when he's talking well, to Well, Jack's Wendy. not dull. He had to nah. hand it to the guy. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely memorable. He is. He keeps it lively. He's a good time. And he he frozen like a caveman at the end too. <laughs> so, which I was one of my favorite shots. Uh, you know. Yeah. How cold was it supposed to be out there? Probably. Like yeah. Why didn't he go back into the house after he failed? Did they lock him out of the house? Is that why he never went back in after he gave up on? He I think maybe he couldn't get out of the maze. Oh, he couldn't get out of the maze. Yeah, I know, of course, yeah. of course. And yeah. he dies in the house. And it was that thing of the house wasn't going to let him go. And he didn't want to let the house go. No. He was more attached to the house than to life. He was. He, well, he wanted to be dead in that house. Well, he can drink because the drink is not dry. When the ghosts are all having a great time, actually. Yeah, yeah they are. The ghosts are, I mean, come on. It's, an, it's a never-ending party. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. no hangover the next day. <laughs> you just hang out it's in the That's why they wanted to kill Danny. Like, he's going to stop our party. <laughs> no, they wanted Danny because Danny was going to give them even ability to manifest themselves in a stronger way. But in He was going to ramp up the party. They oh. were going to be able to bring other people into the party. But they wanted him killed in a movie, though. Like, they'd send to Jack to kill him. him. To join them. Oh, because I maybe Jack misinterpreted. They, they wanted Danny <laughs> to be a part of the Overlook. To oh, be a part of it in he the movie to, too. Like that's that's in, in the book. I don't okay. know. 
But they wanted him to die because then they could absorb his power and use his power to increase their own. Ah, gotcha. I guess is how ghost power. The power works. to party. The power <laughs> they to really, party. They, they didn't really. They had some they, other decor <laughs> issues that right. they really couldn't convince other people to go along with. So they're like, "Well, we're gonna move more to this chair." <laughs> I was gonna okay, say. we're gonna we're gonna just gonna redo this whole entryway. It's not working and. That'd be the best part after Danny is killed. It's like, we wanted your party. Do more for more parties. We want to up the ante on yeah. this, you know. What we're really wanting to do is get a dance floor that rotates. Yeah. This is not working for us anymore. We're tired of these cocktails. They're just basically the 1%, again, just killing people off so they can have more parties. That's yeah. essentially a great one percentage commentary. Party all day well, can you imagine if you're yeah. only partying with the same people for how many years? It has to be dull as hell. Yeah, you I need... don't care if, if you're possessed. I mean, the same jokes, the same dress. Maybe they wanted Danny just to ride around on the big wheel <laughs> so they could hear that sound. We just need variety, okay? <laughs> variety and something young. Spill some drinks on somebody, you know, something. Jack clearly got into the spirit of the thing, though. He loved that bar. That's that's he loved he loved Lloyd. He knew Lloyd immediately. He went up and said, "Hey, Lloyd, you're the best bartender." He knew Lloyd his whole life. Yeah, <laughs> Lloyd was every bartender he ever met. Yeah, he was. And and a good bartender too. Although he was very strict with him about the money thing, you know, he yeah. says your money's no good here. Yeah. <laughs> How's my credit? Yeah, we don't take Taxi. money here. We we want Danny's power to party. We want your child's blood. <laughs> Just give us your family. Yeah, that's it's all we even want. trade. Yeah, and that was easy for Jack to make because he hated his family. So it was just a perfect <laughs> symbiotic relationship all around. So. uh What's everybody's final impressions on the movie? Like, uh, does it still hold up if you, as you watched it? Or I think it still holds up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it looks yeah. even better after you've seen the miniseries. I can lend that to you. I'll just I didn't even know copies. miniseries it's existed. It's it's so bad. It Rebecca is. De Mornay. I like her in Risky yeah, Business. Yeah, but uh... she's she's not as good as actually just the miniseries in general. Like it's it's just it ill conceived. It just feels like the Walmart version of something that's better at Target. Gotcha. Yeah, you know it's functional, but you still know it's awful. It smells funny, and yeah, you save twenty percent, but you're not proud. <laughs> it's a, it's a, you're so not proud. It's a five store meal. It's something like the top, but uh, it's replaced by McDonald's. That's essentially <laughs> what you get with those two film versions. That so. is a hell of disparity. That is, that is. It's a McDonald's has good coffee, but. <laughs> the top is just down the street at work. Oh, yeah. So, oh, it's awful. Oh. I drive by. I'm in Bexley. I love it. And there's always someone that sings Sinatra. It's kind of like the Overlook. There's mm-hmm. always someone that sings Sinatra. Yeah. The decor is so dated. <laughs> in a great way. But it's perfect. Yeah. And you're just like, that's right. I'm going to be here by the fireplace. People <laughs> crooning on, you know. The, it's yeah, it's what's awesome. It, exactly, it's the Overlook, and then you have <laughs> the, 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 the bar scenes were terrible in the miniseries too with Stephen Webber, right? Like oh, it was they just were bad. Everything. The yeah. bar was tacky. <laughs> it was too small. It didn't look glamorous. And Stephen it King was a musician in it. Was I remember him playing him in the band? Yeah, or... <laughs> he was in the band. It was just one of those things. You're like, man, you set the bar up here, and everything about that miniseries. It, it, I think if it would have been the miniseries and then the movie. We could yeah. have all been more forgiving of it. It would have been. Um, I, I, this is one of my, like I said, it's one of my favorite movies. I think it's a masterpiece. 
I don't even consider it really a strict horror film anyway. It's just yeah. a great movie. What you know? do you think as far as all of Kubrick's movies? How do you think it rates there? I mean, this is my favorite. Now, you could the thing about Kubrick's catalog is that you can make a strong argument for any of his films being not only the best, but one of the best films ever In made. In their genre. Right. Like, uh, like, I respect 2001. It's not something I would pull out all the time, but I respect that people... Mm-hmm. I, I see why people consider it a masterpiece. I, I see a Clockwork Orange, and like, wow, this is amazing. I could see that. It's but like he never stayed in one genre. He just no. kept skipping and then did the best he could within that, and then went and did something else. He's almost like a genre unto himself, because he has such a distinct visual style, and his themes are kind mm-hmm. of recurring, that he goes from genre to genre, but he makes it a Kubrick film. You know, it's yeah. it's almost incredible how he does that. Uh, this is a personal favorite of mine, just because I'm a big fan of the actor. It, it's kind of drawn to me, because I like how the performance is very entertaining and mm-hmm. Torrance is probably one of my favorite film characters of all time just because he is such a psychotic, engaging, you know, absurd character, especially towards the end. And I just love, I just the more I watched it, the more I, I, I love it more and more. I love Shelley Duvall's performance much more than I did in the beginning where I kind of thought it was a throwaway role, but now I see now it as, it I think it's a, an, an outstanding performance and brilliantly casted. And I think uh, it's anything with Scatman and all the the other people, and this visually stunning film. Mm-hmm. Like it's just you can't take your eyes off of the set design, the music, even though it's incorporating a variety of different uh, pieces that mm-hmm. he, you know, they're almost yes. atonal. It's so for, perfect for the movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a masterpiece. Yeah, I really like it a lot too. Um, the first time I saw it, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I was expecting this hard, this like scary, <laughs> scary movie because that's what. You know, Bobby's mom made it seem like it was. Um, but I interpreted it kind of more as like a, an internal psychological thriller. And I remember when I first saw it, one of the things that was a little hard to um, to overcome, especially when you're a 14-year-old girl, is just how dated it was. You know, it, obviously it's definitely made in the late 70s, early it 80s It had the oranges, time, it had the which shades of red. you know yeah. I hate that time period. <laughs> I, the fashion was bad, the decor, all of that jazz, but... But now that I'm an adult and I have a, a deeper appreciation for art and, and, and films and, 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 and everything that goes along with that, I look at it, you know, in a much different light. Um, it is a little slow moving, but I realize that that is something that um, Kubrick likes to do. You know, he likes to take his time. So I, and so I appreciate that. Absolutely. You know, when I first saw it, it was kind of like, what when? the hell? What's yeah. going on? This, I, this <laughs> I had the same scary. reaction yeah. you did. You know, yeah. you're like, yeah. I thought this was scary, and you know, yeah. but and then of course at the end everything happens all in like a 20 minute time span, and it's really thrilling, you know, edge of your seat. Um, but I really think it's a great movie. Um, I've grown to really respect it and appreciate it. It's probably not a movie that I would watch every day. No, but, you know, yeah. I mean, I think a lot be of troubling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I've, I've had that face, but that's look at how I turned out. So, some like that's what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. But I do think it is but... a really great movie. I, I, I think it has a lot of uh, a lot of style to it. I, I think it was well crafted. I do really like the um, the way that it was written and, and the delivery, and I really appreciate some of the more abstract dream sequences and some of those little things that are can be off putting for people. Mm-hmm. I really have a strong appreciation for things like that. So, um, watching it again as an adult, I really liked it a lot more mm-hmm. than I did, you know, fifteen years ago. It grows, on you. It, it grows yeah. on you. Yeah, you know, I just, I, I don't, I don't think when I first watched it, you know, I was at a point in my life where I really could understand it. Now that I'm an adult, 
you mm-hmm. kind of interpret things a little bit differently. Um, and I, I just, I ha- I've never read the book, so I can't really have anything to compare it to. I haven't seen the miniseries mm-hmm. either. Um, Don't. <laughs> <laughs> it but, ages so, well. so for me, I think this is great. You know, for me, this is good enough. It's, it's you know, I spoke for it, but... <laughs> no, I, I agree with, uh, you know, everybody here. I think it's a, it's a great movie. Um, I, I, I like the fact that it, it moves kind of slow and it builds up and... One of my favorite things that Kubrick does is the the, the small talk and just the kind mm-hmm. of and you know, like we were talking about. But he yeah. always does it in every movie, even like two thousand one. You know, there's a conversation with a guy calling his wife, and it's very mundane. It's, it's very average. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. Very, the dialogue is I very average. There. Yeah, and uh, it's actually a funny moment when he's naming all the people that stayed there. It's like royalty stayed here, and then he just the manager just says. All the best. You know, <laughs> he mentions all the everybody else, but yeah. like, right. Dorothy stay here. He's like all the best, <laughs> and they just keep walking on, and uh, you know, just you get a tour of the hotel, which mm-hmm. gives you a sense of the hotel. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like a mundane thing, but it's like I know this space just mm-hmm. like when you watch the movie, you get an idea of. It's kind of brilliant in that way. When yeah. you're watching, it's just like, why are we going on this tour? Yeah, but you get the you get you get the build up with. Uh, well, he's kind of uh, setting the stage. Dick Halloran, you know, mm-hmm. and he yeah. talks and you learn more about The Shining. You get all this exposition in a, a very organic reveal. way. And uh, and you get to see the interaction with uh, Jack and his, his wife on the way there when he said, like, he, he's telling him about the Donner Party and he's mm-hmm. describing it to him. And yeah. he's like, Jack, he's like, oh, I saw it on TV. He's like, see? He saw it. Yeah. Makes it all right. Yeah. <laughs> and he said it kind of sarcastically. You don't know whether he's... Yeah, he saw it on the television. Yeah. He gets really sinister after it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that scene. Yeah. But, uh, I know, the the acting's good. I, I think I appreciate Shelley Duvall's performance now, the more I watch it. I think at first it's very jarring, because it's very screechy, very, you know, but now he's like, oh, man. She's not somebody you want to hang out with. Yeah. No. I mean, not initially. You're just like, ugh. And I don't... I, I, you know, I haven't seen her in a... I saw her as Olive Oil, which is, like, mm-hmm. as perfect casting as you can ever get. I mean, she's, you know... And I know she was a comedic, comedic actress. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really get to show that as well, much. She does in her fairy tale theater. She does? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She uh, was a Robert Altman favorite, too. That's yeah. how she really got started, as Altman cast her in a lot she of was roles. In a, she was in Annie Hall. Yeah, she was. She has a yeah. bit role in Annie, which is a great and movie. And, you know, yeah. I think that's a great point that you made, um, because... Really, my first memory of Shelley Duvall was the fairy tale theater. Mm-hmm. So that was the side of her that I knew. So then seeing her as Wendy was really shocking for me. Bizarre. Yeah, it's to see her in this awful state, physically, mentally, yeah. emotionally. She just looks totally battered and beaten down and broken. And it's like, whoa, this is not the host I know. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of strange seeing people. Um, yeah, I mean, it shows, her, it shows how good an actress she is, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, at the end of the day. I have a newfound appreciation rage. for her, because yeah. I, I, I was just anti-her, but I was just like, I could take it or leave it, but now I'm like, the more I watch it, the more I appreciate what she, and then you hear what she went through, and you just kind of, mm-hmm. you, you feel that empathy more for a character yeah. and for, for actress. Somebody. I don't think she get, ever will get the credit. You know, because she's overshadowed in this movie by... And she's also a woman, so she'll mm-hmm. never get the Oh, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That, notwithstanding. To be yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, she's in a movie with Jack Nicholson. She's playing off of Jack Nicholson, who, to, at the time, was the biggest movie time. star in the world. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a kid who had The Shining, and there was... He, he was talking to his finger. He's How can you compete with that? I mean, can. She, was, <laughs> yeah. she was the only person in that movie, outside of the hotel, that didn't have a... 
hotel manager that didn't have a thing. She wasn't going crazy on her she own. Was a, or... But she's a hero. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, she saves her son from him. But and herself. And herself. Yeah. And gets out of Dodge and he dies. He freezes to death. Although, hasn't he been there? Or is this just a lookalike that looks exactly <laughs> like him? Now, have any of you read the follow-up book? I have not. No, uh, I haven't I, I, either. Yeah. And I don't know if I... There's talk. I don't know if it's going to ruin it for me. Like, the idea of reading a book, following that, you know, Danny's grown up, and he's helping other people with The Shining, and he has an alcoholism problem to keep The Shining and the voices in his head. I'm just like... It's yeah. a different I don't want to know Danny. I don't know if I want to know Danny as an adult. No. I don't want to know him damaged. I want to think of him being okay. That sounds odd. After all of this, you know, Dad... <laughs> Has an axe murder, but yeah. it's okay. We, we got over the whole dad murdering. And... Do you yeah. think this movie would be just as good if it was just this family goes to this hotel and stays there and he just gets cabin fever and kills them without the supernatural part? If he just went crazy without any intervention of the spirit or No, he just yeah. he can't it write. Would be like an episode. He just can't he's write. Writer's block <laughs> and cabin fever. He just goes nuts. Yeah, and, and, and you could say this movie is that, actually, because there's always doubts whether the supernatural is happening or I it's just in I personally don't head. think it would be, because those yeah. are the elements of the film that I really like the a shining, lot. Yeah. I, I, love, I love the fact that at the end of this film, I still don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. I can have debates and conversations about it with people, and that's the... That's there's the no exciting one answer. part of that. Yeah. Exactly. There's no one answer. I think that's what makes it really, really and truly, aside from the performances and and Stanley Kubrick's direction, I think the openness of what really did we just see is what makes this movie timeless and what makes it hold up. Otherwise, if it had an ending where everybody knew what happened or something like that, would it still be a classic that we're talking about? Maybe, maybe and not. And it's easy to give somebody mm. an you know, ending and it makes you popular. And they're yeah. so happy because they can tie it all up and they don't have to think and contemplate and reflect mm-hmm. and, and to really interpret things. But to, to not give them an ending is a strong move. Yeah. To say, I refuse yeah. to make you sleep well at night. I refuse to let you close this book. I will always have you wondering yes. why. And you have to know how much pressure he had to be under to just... Because there's other endings, you know. This was not the only one. Is that and, thing? Well, of, there's a book as well. And, and you have yeah. to. And it's like one of those things. He's going now defiantly. I will. Yeah. I will upset all of you. I'm not going to give anybody what they yeah. want. I'm Stanley Kubrick. I do what I want. When right. they when they show the photo at the end, that that tells me. Okay, is he gonna? He's gonna come back. He's somehow going to reincarnate, or mm-hmm. this man is is not gone forever. Why you know? more or maybe he was from the past and came back and re- exactly. yeah, yeah. Like, this is we, a fifth if we have the hotel party in the twenties, why don't, why don't we have Indians? Why weren't there Indians outside? You know, because <laughs> no, we're talking about the hotel party. The spirits are there. Why weren't uh-huh. there Indians? Indian yeah. spirits. Indian spirits. That yeah, there's, right. only, there's only there's only ghosts from specific. <laughs> yeah, See, why, why are I, there I, only fabulous, well healed ghosts? Why don't we have barefoot? I know what happened. <laughs> Here's a question, though. Here's a question. I. I <laughs> Grady killed his family in the seventh mm-hmm. and seventy. Did he? Yeah. He well, that's the thing. That's what that's, that's what we're yeah. told. We're told the, that the he hotel never... manager says it. Right. But he's at a twenties party when he's right. The big... But <laughs> right. he, he was brought he tells into Jack the fold. when they were talking. He was always uh, in the bathroom. He says to I've Jack, always been here. "I've always Grady. been here." Yeah, yeah, I've always been here. You're, he basically, in other words, tells him, "You're me, and I'm you." Yeah. I think the hotel absorbed the personality, so there was nothing left. You became what the hotel needed. Ah, you became, okay. you had no identity apart from your role and your contribution to the party. You were going to be the bartender. There's nothing else about you. You have no past. You have no future. Ah. You are the bartender. You serve that role and purpose. But again, 
Why is it only the fabulous white people are coming to the parties? Right. Why aren't there some Native Americans? People well, even in the afterlife. What's the hell? Why is there fire water? Come on. Even in the afterlife, whites suppressed the Native Americans. That's what happened. There, they, was, some, you, we, there was some whitewashing going on. Even, even the ghosts were whitewashing stuff. What I love is like it's built on a Native American burial ground. Okay. But, no but even American. the ghosts are whites. They're like the 1%. They're keeping them out. You know? So the ghosts are like still being repressed over there. Either you the Native American spirits are real. Yeah, yeah, was killed in there, so he's probably gonna come. Well, no, no, there's no, no way Scatman's getting he'll into be, that he'll party. He'll be in a serving role too. He'll yeah. still have to be in the serving role in his right. place. He'll be the chef. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess. How many people it, do you have Lloyd... to murder to keep a hotel going in spirit? <laughs> was Lloyd the bar- Was Lloyd the bartender? Was he one? Of, was he one of the line of people that killed Maybe his family? Maybe he was. Because it's like know. he knew who Lloyd was. And he knows who Grady well, was. I mean, do they have? To, where do you stop the laundry staff? What they they well, have yeah. I mean, if you're a ghost and you're fabulous, why do you need support staff? Right to keep that party going. It's not easy. I, so, <laughs> so there still has to. So what you're saying is, even in the spirit world, there are menial jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that if we're not careful, that's the hell that it is. If we're yeah. not careful and psychic, that they will be meant for us. <laughs> I'm a bartender for life, guys. I'm just enjoying the ride. Just you know? get used. Just get used to like, yeah, prepping for the lend, next shift. <laughs> I'll lend you my ear and, and the beer forever for eternity. So I, uh, it's an amazing film. Let's let's face it. I, I think it's going to be a classic. <laughs> yeah, let's face it. Let's face <laughs> it. No, nobody can debate this whatsoever. It's 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 in. Um, I think the best way to appreciate a movie, and I recommend, like we were talking about before, like that you should see this on the big screen if you have mm-hmm. a chance. It's, it's usually around Halloween. Yes. The major chains let it let it play. East End, Polaris. Yeah, even beyond Columbus, I'm sure nationally they they play I'm it sure in other places. Yeah, but uh, I think the next best place to to um, experience the any movie outside of a theater is on Blu-ray. I think it's a great mm-hmm. format, high def, um, and there is a great. Uh, DVD or great Blu-ray version of The Shining Out that came out about ten years ago. I think the the crown jewel of that set is an actual documentary that was made in like 1980. It was aired on the BBC. Mm-hmm. That was directed by uh, Kubrick's daughter Vivian Kubrick, and it shows you rare footage of Kubrick working, which nobody ever had access to no. until that point. Well, he worked with his daughter and his wife during that film. Yeah. Imagine just that pressure. Oh God. Can you imagine? I, I imagine working with him, but living with him <laughs> would have been very interesting. And then, you know, you see Nicholson, who rarely does interviews himself, mm-hmm. is all over the place. And this Rather is like... Reclusive. You're watching them work, too. You're watching them get in preparation. And this is like one of the iconic films for both men to kind of watch them. And Shelley Duvall, too. So it's it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But they also have some great retroactive retrospectives on there talking about mm-hmm. the legacy of The Shining and going into detail about the making of the film. It's It's really a... A great Blu-ray to own, especially mm-hmm. if you're a fan of the film. Well, I want to thank Nikita for coming uh, and joining yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. This was great fun. Fantastic yeah. guest. Um, thank you for coming. Um, we have a few things coming up ourselves to plug. Okay. Right, like uh, I have my show, The Putts. It's mm-hmm. coming off on December 9th at the Wild Goose. Nice. Scott and Tony are okay. uh, a part of that. Yes. And uh, do you guys have anything coming up that you want to mention? Um, my birthday. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Tony's birthday is it coming is. up, everybody. It's the only, it's the only thing I have going on. Um, no, I mean, 
It was this great holiday. They call it Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, yes. oh, I almost hit two turkeys yeah. with my car the other day. There you go. Not oh. necessarily on purpose. Different. They came out right in the road, and I didn't know if I needed a hunting permit to focus with my car. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I completely understand that. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook. Yes, yes you can. Or, or follow us on Twitter, and, and you can... Like us, on like, us, like us on Facebook. Yeah, we have a Facebook page and a Twitter page. Please uh, find us on there. And Cinema Wheeler Tay. Cinema Wheeler Tay. And also rate us if you can on iTunes or Podbean, wherever you happen to be yeah. listening to us. And thanks again, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye. fine, Mr. Thomas. That's swell. I like you, Lloyd. I always liked you. You were always the best of them. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Thank you for saying so. <laughs>